The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Unending source, ageless creator, 
I'm not a rich man. I'm not a man who has achieved great academic success. I'm not a man who's learned how to maneuver in the world. I'm a man who's been caught up in much foolishness through the years. A man who's made many, many mistakes. A man who has clay feet. Not even any iron, just clay feet. A man who's been very arrogant and proud at times. Very self-sufficient. And yet through all of that, there has been one consistent, powerful, throbbing in my soul sometimes masked, sometimes diminished, but always returning with powerful, throbbing force. And that has been a heart cry for God. I suspect that that's the one characteristic that identifies every person in this house tonight. A heart cry for God. Sometimes it beats so softly we can't hear it. There have been times when I have gotten on my face before God and said, Oh God, what has happened to that heart throb that I felt for you? I don't feel it today. What's going on? And then surely... It would start again. A hunger. A hunger for God. Sometimes so depressed and so discouraged and so ready to give up and so enraged by the opposition. Underneath. A heart cry for God. Sometimes a still small voice. But always that still small voice growing into a crescendo that has to be dealt with. That's God's way. That's how he deals with us in his mercy and his grace. It's not something I can conjure up. 
It's not something I can create. It's not something I can say, well, today I want to feel God call me. So it's not coming from me. It's separate from me. It's not marred by my desires and my wills because it's coming from the heart of God. And so it's clean, it's pure. It's my filth and my dirt that mask it. But even at that, the steady moving of the Spirit of God presses through the garbage of my life, and he's crying out again, a heart cry for God. This has happened through the ages. And any who have found themselves kneeling at the cross must admit that they have come to that cross because of the moving power of the Holy Spirit in drawing them to that cross. Every man or woman who comes to that cross has to confess, I don't deserve to come to this cross and have the burden of my sin cut away from my heart. That's grace. Undeserved, unmerited. That's grace. So it was with the children of Israel. They had become fat and happy. They had become extremely prosperous. They had turned away from the living God. And so God used the Philistines as a whip on them. He used the Philistines to tear their flesh, to pierce their eyes. In desperation, they send the Ark of the Covenant as a religious symbol out with their army, hoping that the religious rituals and symbols of their faith will have some power to defeat the enemy. Instead, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. Do you hear what I said? The Gentile pagans took the covenant, and without the covenant, the children of Israel have nothing. They took the mercy seat, Without the mercy seat, they have nothing. They took the law. Without the law, they have nothing to guide them. They are stripped naked. They are like all the other peoples of the world. There is nothing to distinguish them now. They have been cast down into utter darkness. There is no hope for them. They have lost to the Philistines every part of their identity. And God, without the children of Israel doing anything begins to bring diseases upon the Gentile. He begins to bring tumors in the groin of the Philistines so they can't have any children. He makes them impotent. And so they decide to send the ark back. They decide to send the law back. They decide to send the mercy seat back. They put it on an ox cart. And here it comes, bumping over the dirt road. And God's people see it coming. And there's great rejoicing. 
they slaughter the cows, they offer an offering, and then they say, hey, we don't see God around. Let's take a peek inside the ark. We don't see God around. He doesn't care what we do. Let's see if there's really a law inside the ark. So they take a peek inside the ark, and suddenly they are confronted face to face with a law with no mercy seat and no blood. And they die. They die by the thousand. The people mourned. They grieved because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And they said, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? No man can stand in the presence of this holy God without blood. No man can face the law and live. For all of us have fallen short of the law. All of us have broken the law. None of us are righteous. And so they send a message to Kirith Jarman saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down, take it up to your place. We don't want this God in our house. Some of you have said that. You're willing to go to church, but you don't want God in your house. You're afraid of what might happen if you have God in your house. He might listen to you. He might hear you. First Samuel, the seventh chapter, they came down and took it up to Abimadad's house. He was not a Levite. This was not a Levite town. He was just a godly man. They consecrated his family to care for the ark. That means they're putting it in cold storage. Shiloh was abandoned. Now I want you to understand the significance of this. They now possess the law. They now possess the mercy seat. They possess the place where God dwells in Shekinah glory, but it's in cold storage. God's people have the power to put God in cold storage. We don't want to deal anymore with this God. We're afraid of this God. Let's put him in storage. 20 years, the ark was in storage. 20 years, nobody went to the ark of the covenant to inquire of God. 20 years, God was silent. 20 years, there was no voice of God speaking in the land. But oh, the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Chapter 7, verse 2, the last part, all the people of Israel mourned or grieved and sought after the Lord. It was this heart cry for God that was rising up. God was in storage, but there was a hunger in their heart. They wanted the presence of God. They couldn't live without the presence of God. And it began to captivate their whole world. They couldn't think of anything else. 
they were consumed by this moving power of the Holy Ghost in their hearts to say, let's bring God back to his rightful place among us. Oh, I cry to God that this will happen once more in America. That this will happen in his church. Today, the church is content to go to the building, but the Shekinah glory of God is in cold storage. We can go through the rituals. We can sing the songs. We can say the prayers. We can preach the sermons. But God's in cold storage. And there has to be a reemergence of this heart cry for God. There has to be a, a quickening of our spirits. And this is something God has to do for us. These men and women began to weep. They began to seek after God. They began to grieve because God wasn't with them. So Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts. Now, let's break it down. That word returning literally means to turn back, but it also means to retreat from. To retreat from. So he's saying, if you're willing to retreat from your love of the world, if you're willing to pull back from your own agendas, if you're willing to withdraw, the voice of God will grow louder in your heart. Now, I've learned through the years how to increase the heart cry of my soul for God. And that is to withdraw or retreat from my disobedience of God. And as I withdraw from that disobedience, the voice grows stronger. I always loved, when I was a kid, the story of Robin Hood. I was captured by, by that story. And I always loved the story of little John. Little John was sent on an errand to go to this wicked sheriff of Nottingham. And he was sleeping in one Saturday morning at the sheriff of Nottingham's castle because he couldn't there. He couldn't sleep in with Robin Hood. Everybody had to be up and moving. But oh, he could sleep in and he was growing fat on the food. And he was awakened that morning by the silver tone of Robin Hood's trumpet way off in the forest. And he said, I know that sound. What's that sound? Oh, yes, I used to be one of Robin Hood's band. What am I doing with the wicked sheriff of Nottingham? And he began to come to a sense. So he knocked out one of the guards. He stole a bunch of food. And he headed back to Sherwood Forest. And as he grew closer to Sherwood Forest, the sound of the trumpet increased in his ear 
and grew in his heart until he was welcomed back into Robin Hood's bay. Now, I've always loved that story because I've experienced this. I've awakened from my slumber and heard the far-off distant note of the Almighty God calling after my soul. And as I have arisen and left the wicked castle and moved toward the forest, I could hear more clearly the sound of the silver trumpet. Some of you tonight can barely hear the sound of the silver trumpet, but you can hear it or you wouldn't be here. If you want to hear it more clearly, move closer to its source. Take actions to step closer to Almighty God. And as you step closer, you'll hear more clearly. And as you hear more clearly, you'll remember more of his mercy. You'll remember how he met you in times past. How he carried you when it looked impossible. Oh, we have such a a bad habit of looking at the current circumstances and judging God on those circumstances. God, you're being unfair to me. How could you do this to me, God? No, no, no. Look back. Hear the call of God in your heart and remember his deliverances in the past. And that will bring more clearly to your heart the sound of the heart cry for God. If you are retreating from evil, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods or literally Turn off your foreign gods. Rebel against your foreign gods. Be without your foreign gods. Depart from your foreign gods. There is only one answer for how to deal with sin in Scripture. Flee from it. You can't fight it. You can't win a battle with it. It'll get you every time. It crouches at the door like a lion. It's active. It's alive. It's coming for you. There's only one solution. Run from it. Flee to Jesus. He's saying if you are returning to the Lord, then turn off the foreign gods and the asterisks. Now, it's interesting. The foreign gods is masculine. The asterisk is feminine. That pretty well covers all the gods, doesn't it? <laughs> and commit yourselves to the Lord. I was interested in that word commit. It means stand upright. We want to lay in bed and commit. You can't commit laying in bed. You have to get up on your feet. You have to lay down on your face. You have to be in a position where it means something. 
not snuggling into the warm pillow. I tell you, there are some nights when the Lord calls me and it's cold in the room and I don't want to get up, but I know I have a choice. I either get up and go into the prayer closet and sit before God until he's finished with me. Or when I awaken in the morning, the heart cry for God will be absent from my soul. And I will have to endure some days. You remember Jesus' parents? When they weren't watching where their son was? And they headed home without Jesus? It took them three days of searching to find him. When you have turned aside from that heart cry of God, and you have not heeded what the Holy Spirit has tried to say to you, it may take you three days to regain. It may take you a week to regain hearing that heart cry for God in your soul again. And I bear witness as one who so many times grieved the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that brings more sadness to my soul than to not sense a heart cry for God in my spirit. And that only comes about because of the rebellion of my heart. And some of you tonight, if you're saying, I can't even tell if there's a heart cry for God in me, then know that you're rebelling against him. And if you'll ask him, he'll show you what has to be let go of so you can begin to feel and hear and sense this throbbing, calling, crying out after you of the Holy Ghost. So Samuel's saying, if you're going to return to the Lord, then do it for real. Don't play games with him. Stand up for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. Verse 4. So the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks. Now you notice before anything else could happen, they had to put them away. We want God to come. And then we'll put them away. He says, put them away and then I'll come. And tonight, some of you in this house are struggling with gods that you've been worshiping all your life. Your parents taught you to worship at the altar. Pride, arrogance, stubbornness, wickedness, the thoughts that are not godly. Some of you may be struggling with pornography, with the love of money. Or the love of applause. Or the love of recognition. Some of you may be struggling with any kind of issue. It's a God. And it blocks out this heart cry that would rise up and bring tears to your eyes. That God has to be put away. Determine now in your heart you will put away those gods. You will serve the Lord only. 
Now he assembled all of the children of Israel at Mitzpah. This is 1 Samuel 7, verse 6. And the first thing they did as they came together is they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. They drew water and poured it out before the Lord. Now it's clear in the scripture, the pouring out of water is something not only the children of Israel did, but other peoples did this as well. And it symbolically was saying, a total pouring out of my heart. Nothing is being held in reserve. Every part of my soul is being poured out. When the two brave men brought David at the risk of their own life, water from the well of Bethlehem. What did David do with that water? Poured it out on the ground. He said, I can't drink it. I'm going to pour it out. It's that kind of pouring out of our hearts that God wants to see before he does anything else for us. That's what the heart-throbbing cry about the Holy Spirit in our heart is. That's what the cry is for, to cause us to pour our hearts out to him. To utterly pour it out. The good, the bad, the ugly. Everything gets poured out before God. I asked one brother, how are you with Jesus? He answered, Pastor, I've got to be honest. I'm in a battle with sin. I can only tell you one thing. I'm pouring it all out before Jesus. My heart was glad. My heart was glad. Because I knew that as he poured it out before God, there would be such a wonderful work of redemption done in his soul. I don't know how long it'll take. It doesn't matter to me how long it takes. It only matters that he's pouring it all out before God. He's not holding anything back. He's admitting to God all of his sin, all of his pride, all of his arrogance. He's pouring it out before God. God knows how to deal with it. They poured out the water before God. On that day, they fasted. They fasted. This young man from the university said, Pastor, we've all started to fast. I said, what's that mean? He said, everything that doesn't please Jesus has to go. I said, now that's a fast the Lord will honor. That's a fast that pleases the Lord's heart. You see, if you're pouring out everything, you're not holding back anything. You're not playing any games with God. You're just pouring it out. You know you can't fix it. You know you can't change it. You know it's too deep for you to deal with. But you're pouring it out before Jesus. Oh, now he's in a place to do an awesome work of grace that will cause you to walk into a fast that will cleanse your soul. That's his power.
The only sin that God has a hard time with is the sin that's not confessed. The sin that's confessed, he paid the price for. It's when we hold on to it, when we won't release it, that we block the heart throbbing cry of the Holy Ghost in our hearts. And as we release it, as we pour it out, and he calls us into a fast, he disciplines us. You know, I would... I would not have gotten anywhere in the walk with Jesus if he had not disciplined me. Now, please understand me. I'm not happy about the discipline. I'm not happy that he continues to do it. But he hasn't let up on me. I can only testify that as I've submitted to his discipline, I hear his voice more clearly. And when I resist his discipline and I become angry with him, his voice is silent. Now, it's not because God has gone away, because I've grown calluses on my ears. And I need again for the Holy Spirit to come and pierce my ears. I don't understand what I'm going to say to you. I've been deaf so many times in my life. And by his grace, he always comes and pierces my ear again. I don't understand that kind of love. He comes and pierces my ear again so I can hear him calling me. Which means he wants me to pour it all out before him. Which means he wants to bring me into discipline again. Which means I have to face that same anger at him all over again. And after you've had a groundhog day for several months. You have to decide how many times you're going to go around that circle. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I'm the one that's got to do the changing, not God. I'm the problem. My ears are the issue. There they confessed. They confessed we have sinned against the Lord. And you know what? They had sinned against the Lord. This was not a sentimental confession. You know, the crocodile tear style confession. No, no, this was real confession of real sin. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mitzpah. <clears throat> now, you need to understand, this sentence is not here just lightly. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mitzpah. Samuel was not a priest. He was not of the tribe of Levi. He was not a king. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. Moses was a prophet. And when God spoke to the people, they said, 
don't let God speak to us anymore, lest we die. And so God spoke to his prophet Moses, and Moses then spoke to the people. Because the people didn't want to hear from God anymore. Now, after years of failure, they don't have a judge. They don't have an army commander. They don't have a king. They have a mouthpiece of God that is pure, that's clean. And he's the leader at Mitzvah. Now they're in a position for God to deliver them. The Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzpah. The rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. Always when you begin to go through this process, the Philistines will hear about it and they'll be after you. Sometimes the Philistines look like your family members. Sometimes the Philistines look like your best friends. Sometimes the Philistines just look like strangers. And sometimes the Philistine is your boss. But they are going to attack. Because they cannot countenance that you are serving the living God of heaven. Because they want you to serve them. But that heart cry, that thought, throbbing cry of the Holy Ghost comes piercing through your heart. And you can only serve the living God of heaven. You really don't have any other choice. They were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God, for us. That he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. They did not turn to their army. Yeah. What victory! Yeah. They did not turn to the sword or to the spear, or to the bow, or to the horse. They didn't turn to the wisdom of man. They turned to the living God of heaven, and they said, pray for us. Samuel took a suckling lamb. That means a lamb that is still nursing. They were eligible to be used as a sacrifice after eight days. So it was probably an eight-day-old lamb. And it was offered up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. And the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. I'm sure that loud thunder was the same thunder that spoke from Mount Sinai 
It was the voice of God. Thundering. In deliverance of God's people. God was speaking deliverance to his people. Now please. What you and I need. And what the National Prayer Chapel needs. And what Washington D.C. needs. What the nation of America needs. Is the voice of God. To finally thunder. And deliver us as a people. Before that thunder can be heard, there has to be a pouring out of water. There has to be a confession of sin. There has to be a discipline of God in the past. And there has to be absolute, total confidence and trust in the suckling lamb. Offered on the altar. Absolute. Total. Complete trust. In the suckling lamb. Offered on the altar. Did you notice. When Moses struck the rock. God said to him. Because you did not trust me enough. To consider me as holy. You will not enter the promised land. The sin of Moses was not the striking of the rock. The sin of Moses was not trusting in the rock. All he had to do was speak to the rock. He thought he had to hit the rock. The New Testament tells us that that rock is Jesus Christ. We don't have to strike Jesus. We don't have to come at him with bitterness and anger. We don't have to come at him with accusations. We don't have to come at him with a heart filled with arrogant pride, demanding to have our way, full of issues. God, I have issues with you. That's Moses 101, striking the rock. No, all we have to do is speak to the rock, trust the rock, and the water will pour forth. Oh, thank you, Lord. Samuel took a stone. He set it up and he named it Ebenezer. Saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. Tonight we need an Ebenezer stone in every household. Thus far has the Lord helped us. Which of you has come this far in your own strength? We've come this far by the strength of the Lord. And now the question is, will we speak to the rock or will we try to beat on it? Will we trust in Jesus? Absolute trust in the suckling lamb is required. Total submission is required to this suckling lamb. I read another passage that gives me such joy in Revelation. 
Revelation, the fifth chapter. Revelation, the fifth chapter, verse one. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? You understand what's being said? Who is worthy to bring about the final conclusion of earth's history? Who is able to deal with the wickedness of the world? Who can bring God's people through to victory? Who can deliver God's people into the kingdom of God? Who is worthy to do this? No one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look in it. I wept and I wept. Why did he weep? He wept because there was no deliverer to be found. He wept because he knew humanity could never be redeemed if no one could open the seal to this scroll. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. It's so exciting to me that it was one of the elders and not one of the angels. <laughs> was not one of these mighty angels looking like a great mighty statue. No, it was one of the lowly elders who had experience with the lamb. The angels had no experience with the lamb. They've only watched. But we who are human, we have experience with this lamb. This suckling lamb offered a whole burnt offering on the altar. This lamb we know, his name is Jesus. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bulls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language, people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that in them is singing to him who sits on the throne. To the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Oh, tonight my confidence is in the Lamb. I trust the Lamb. I trust the Lamb. I don't trust my circumstances. I don't trust my ability. I don't trust my mind. 
I don't trust my heart. I trust the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. I trust the rock that poured forth the water. I trust Jesus. I trust him. And it's he who sends this heart cry birthed by the Spirit in my heart. I trust the call of God to not leave me devoid of the Holy Ghost. I trust him to pull me through. I trust him to pay the price for my sin. I trust him no matter what it looks like to bring me through to victory. I trust his promise. Thank you, Jesus. He is worthy. He who sits on the throne. Be praised and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I thank you for the cry of my heart that continues to move through my spirit, saying I want more of Jesus. I'm hungry for you, Jesus. I'm not satisfied with this world. I'm not satisfied with my wicked heart. I need the new heart. And Jesus, I just reach out to you tonight in faith. And I say, heal the wicked heart. Heal the broken spirit. Renew the, the weary tonight. Restore the sick body tonight. Lord, our eyes are on you. We trust in you. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Why is the church so silent When the walls are crumbling down Who will be a Nehemiah or an Esther? Tell me who will stand their ground Even if my faith breaks the law I will stand with God I will stand with God Even if I take a jail I will stand with God I will stand with God Just like the martyrs before us They were willing to lay down their lives Choosing to die and be victorious Never denying the name of Christ I will stand with God 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 God.
Stand with God. Stand with God. I will stand with God. I will stand with God.